We are in our second week in this Advent series that we have entitled Glad Tidings. And we define glad tidings as this, and this is really what the term means. It simply means good news. Micah just read a passage of scripture where that phrase is used depending on the translation that you use in Luke chapter 2 verse 10 where the angels appear to the shepherds and they say, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news or glad tidings of great joy which shall be for all people. And so as we celebrate this Christmas season, this Advent season, really what we do is what, I, what we're, our aim is, I should say, in our series in these four weeks leading up to Christmas is really asking ourselves, man, how do we be people of glad tidings? Those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ, how do we be those people? How do we be those people that really emulate from themselves the things that we highlight during this season, and that is love and joy and peace and hope? And how do we emulate that knowing that God has called us to do really what he gave the angels the responsibility to do in announcing Jesus' birth to the shepherds and the good news that has come in the form of Jesus Christ. Really, we have that same responsibility today to be people that proclaim and emulate from not only their words but also their actions that we are a people that have been saved by the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Therefore, our lives should emulate love and joy and peace and hope. And we have the responsibility and privilege to proclaim that same message that the angels did over 2,000 years ago. And so I'm going to invite you to turn in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 12. That's where we're going to be this morning. And if you're taking notes, here's the title of the message today. It's the title's in the form of a question. And the question is this, where are you searching for joy? Where are you searching for joy today? And really, that's the second thing that we're going to highlight in this series is that second thing that we celebrate during this season is not only love, what we looked at last week, but this week looking at joy. And to give you a little context of where we are in the book of Isaiah chapter 12, and that's always a difficult thing when you're doing more of a topical series, is, is you're jumping in from passage to passage. And so I think it's important that we have a context, a framework of, of what's going on in this chapter that we're going to look at as we jump into Isaiah chapter 12. Here's the context. Israel in this chapter, in this part of Isaiah, is under Assyrian captivity. Last week we looked at a passage of Scripture where they were under Babylonian captivity, but here they're under Assyrian captivity, and in the midst of the captivity... We want to frame it like this. In the midst of these dark circumstances, God in this short chapter of Isaiah chapter 12 is going to give the hope of salvation that is found in the Messiah who we know as Jesus Christ. That's the aim. That's the hope of this passage of Scripture. And what's interesting about this passage of Scripture is it's not just speaking of spiritual salvation that's found in Jesus Christ, but it's also look for, looking forward to the day when Jesus Christ will come back and will right all wrongs and will set up his kingdom and will rule for all of eternity. So even though on this side of the cross, we know that Jesus Christ has already come to provide spiritual salvation for every person who places their trust in him as their Lord and Savior, we also, those of us living today, look forward to the day when Jesus Christ will come back 
and we'll right all wrongs and we'll wipe away every tear and we'll, we'll eliminate disease and hardship and, and make this world perfect yet again. So it's really, this chapter is emphasizing both of those ideas. And so if you're taking notes, here's the idea that I want us to get today. And it's found in verse 8. So let's jump down to verse 8, or I'm sorry, verse 6. Let's jump down to verse 6 and and, uh, look at what it says in Isaiah chapter 12. It says, with joy you will draw water from the well of salvation so in the midst of this hope that's offered Isaiah says this of this promise that with joy you will draw from the wells of salvation and that's really where we're going to get the main idea that I want you to see this morning and it's this where you choose to search for joy will determine whether you experience joy where you choose to search for joy will determine whether you experience joy and let me give you a definition of the word joy joy is defined like this and I've given this definition here before but I want to give it again I think this is a good definition that sums up the idea of joy joy is this a supernatural delight and settled assurance in God's faithfulness Joy is a supernatural delight and a settled assurance in God's faithfulness. That's what joy is. So if that's what joy is, here's what I also want us to understand, this idea. It is a choice to rejoice. Say that with me. It's a choice to rejoice. Say it again. It is a choice to rejoice. See, the choice I make every day Am I going to rejoice or am I not going to rejoice? That choice will determine whether or not I experience joy in a given day or circumstance. Because what's our definition of joy? Let me read it again. It's a supernatural delight or settled assurance in God's faithfulness. It's a supernatural delight. It's a supernatural settled assurance in God's faithfulness in who he is. And here's what I've found just in my experiences and dealing with people over the years is that joy is not based on a circumstance. Because I don't know about you, but I've encountered so many people that I've rubbed shoulders with that have tremendous joy and it literally exudes from them in spite of what they're going through. Have you ever found that out? That like you can go to a third world country and they have absolutely nothing. Like no running water, very little when it comes to a roof over their head, no real possessions. And if you've gone to a third world country, you know this. You see that, holy cow, they have a joy And it's not based on what they have, where they live, what possessions they have, but they just seem to be exuding this joy. You've run into people, and this has happened to me more times than I can count, where I'm going to visit someone in the hospital who's a follower of Jesus Christ, and and there's always that spirit of trepidation that's just inside of me, like, man, what am I going to... 
What am I going to say to this person? How am I going to encourage this person? Yes, I know I'm going to give them the word of God, but, but I know what they're going through. I know how hard it is. And honestly, I can't imagine going through what they're going through and just praying and asking, God, would you allow me to be a comfort to them? And would you use me? And going up that elevator and walking into that hospital room, not knowing exactly what I'm going to encounter, and walking out of that room minutes later and saying to myself, Man, he or she, I've just walked away seeing that joy is not based on a circumstance. It's a supernatural delight and a settled assurance in God's faithfulness. And that person, whoever they may be that you have encountered and you would say, I've seen that as well, we need to understand that that doesn't happen by accident. You know what has happened? They have made a choice to rejoice. They've made a conscious choice that they are going to rejoice in spite of what they are experiencing. And every day I have a choice, and the choice is this. And I'm drawing this out of the verbiage that's used there in Isaiah 12 where it says, with joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. So to put it this way, every day I have a choice to do this. I have a choice to determine where am I going to draw and drink from in my day-to-day. Am I going to drink and am I going to draw from, am I going to drop my bucket and draw from the well of skepticism? Or am I going to make a choice this morning, and I'm going to say, you know where I'm going to draw from, and where I'm going to drink from, and where I'm going to drop my bucket? Man, no, 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 no. I'm not going to the well of skepticism. I'm going to the well of salvation. Every day we have a choice. As a follower of Jesus Christ, if that's you today, am I going to draw from the well of salvation, or am I going to draw from the well of skepticism. We have a choice because it's a choice to rejoice. And am I going to live into that joy, that supernatural delight and settled assurance in God's faithfulness? Because remember what we're looking at today, where we choose to search for joy will determine whether or not we experience joy. And so let's just cover this well right here, the well of skepticism. Because I want to answer this question, man, how do we draw from the well of skepticism? Like, what determines whether or not I'm drawing from the well of skepticism or, or whether I choose to draw from the well of salvation? And so let's deal with the well of skepticism first, because I don't know about you, but it's real easy for me to draw from this well. See, here's how I draw from the well of skepticism. I drop that bucket into that well, and as I'm drawing up, here's the first way that I know I'm drawing from the well of skepticism is when I draw up that well, here's what it is. I'm choosing to focus on what God hasn't done. Like when I'm dropping down that bucket, and every one of us have one, and I make the choice to draw from the well of skepticism today, Some of us are drawing from that well because today or yesterday or it's been our modus operandi for the last few weeks, years, months, maybe decades, is that we're making a choice every day to focus on what God hasn't done. We're focusing on God, how God has not met your expectations, how God has not lived up to your agenda. 
Here's the second choice that you may be making. Maybe it's not so much focusing on what God hasn't done, but every day that you get up, you drop that bucket and you're pulling up from the well of skepticism and maybe this is you and what you are choosing to do right now or have been choosing and you're choosing to fear what could happen. You're choosing to fear what could happen. And last week we spent a lot of time on fear, so I'm not going to belabor the point, but it's really choosing to focus on the what ifs. What could happen? And when we're drawing from the well of skepticism and choosing every day that we get up, even maybe it's today, and choosing and focusing on what God hasn't done, how God hasn't met your expectations, or choosing to focus on what could happen and being ruled by fear, I promise you, you will not experience joy. Here's the third thing that I see in this well of skepticism and Maybe you're dropping down in that well this morning and chances are if you're choosing to focus on what God hasn't done and you're choosing to fear what could happen, then maybe this is also true. Maybe you're making this choice today and you have made this choice to evaluate your life and you're like, man, I've been getting up in the morning. I've been drawn from the well of skepticism and it's, man, I'm choosing to fail at sharing my faith with others. Because let's think about it. Man, if I'm every day drawing from the well of skepticism and choosing to drink from this well, then why in the world would I think that I'm going to be motivated to share my faith with anyone? Because I'm miserable. And if I'm miserable and I'm choosing to focus on what God hasn't done or choosing to fear what could happen and or choosing to share my faith with anyone, chances are the reason why I'm not sharing it is because I'm not experiencing joy. But what I want us to understand this morning is if I'm a follower of Jesus Christ and I'm not experiencing joy, it's not God's fault. It's because I'm making a choice. Because it's a choice to rejoice. And here's the thing about the water from this well. It's stagnant. It's stagnant. That if I choose to draw from the well of skepticism, man, that is not water that is going to propel me forward in my relationship with Jesus Christ. It's stagnant. It's bitter. It's bitter water. It's not sweet water. It's bitter water. And it affects my countenance. You ever drink something that's bitter? What do you do? You grimace, right? It affects your countenance when you drink something bitter. And here's what many of you don't understand who are making the choice to drink from this well is everyone else can see it. Because it affects my countenance. Here's another thing about this water is it never satisfies. It never satisfies. Get this, negativity is never satisfied. When I choose to live with a negative perspective, I am never satisfied with that type of thinking. I'm never satisfied. And here's the other thing, it's habit forming. I don't think we oftentimes think about this. When I choose to drink from the well of skepticism, be negative in my perspective, it is actually habit forming. And I say that because I've had the wouldn't say it's an opportunity, wouldn't say it's a privilege, 
but I've been around negative people. And you know what I've found? Is they don't even realize they're being negative. Because it's habit forming. Many of you are, maybe some of you are in this room and you're a negative person. And I promise you, you're the last one to realize that. Everyone else knows it already because it's on your countenance. You walk in and you just bring down the room. But you don't know that. Like you're just used to living into that world. You're just used to seeing everything from the glass half empty. You're just used to living with that negative experience. And I promise you, if you're honest with yourself, you're in this room today, and when we're talking about the subject of joy, you're saying, man, I don't have that. But it's not because you don't have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. It's because you're not living into what you already have, and you're making a choice not to rejoice. You're making the choice to drink from the well of skepticism. So here's what I want to focus the rest of our time on. Because we really don't want to deal with that well anymore, right? Don't want to go to that well. Look at the person next to you and say, don't go to that well. Here's the well that we want to focus on this morning. Is we want to focus on how do I dwell, or how do I, sorry, draw from the well of my salvation. That this morning, man, if we want to experience joy, then we need to drop down our bucket and say, man, I want to draw and I want to drink from this well, the well of my salvation. Here's the first thing that we do that. Look at verse 1. Isaiah says this, you will say in that day, remember he's writing to a group of people who are under Assyrian captivity who in the midst of their circumstances today would not say that they have any reason to experience joy, but God is giving them a promise that will come through Jesus Christ both spiritually and one day as we look forward to a physical day when he will come back and rule and reign. And he says, you will say in that day, I will give thanks to you, O Lord. For though you were angry with me, your anger turned away that you might comfort me. See, here's the first way that I draw from the well of salvation. And I say, man, this is where I'm choosing today to drink from. May not feel like it. Circumstances may not want to motivate me to do that. But it's a choice to rejoice. So I'm going to draw from this well. And I'm going to make the choice, first of all, to choose to thank God for His grace. It's a choice. That today I'm making the choice to thank God for His grace. Is that not what the text says in verse 1? You will say in that day, I will give thanks to you. Why? For though you were angry with me, your anger turned away that you might comfort me. Let me ask you this. What is the greatest wonder of your salvation like what just blows your mind when you think about of what jesus christ has done for you because here's what isaiah would say looking at verse one isaiah would say this here's what's the wonder of my salvation that god was my former enemy do you see that for though you were angry with me that god was my former enemy enemy and his anger has been replaced with his comfort Like, that's what Isaiah would say based on this verse. That the greatest wonder of my salvation is that I was a former enemy of God, that I deserved God's anger on my life because of my sin, but instead God replaced his anger with his comfort. 
I mean, I can't help but think of Ephesians chapter 2. You can turn there if you want in your Bibles. Ephesians 2, verse 3, where Paul says, We were by nature children of wrath. In other words, everything that we deserved was simply God's wrath, God's judgment because of our sin. And so really when we start to piece out and pull apart this verse, what it just reminds us of when we look at what Isaiah says, that though you were angry with me, your anger turned away that you might comfort me. What it reminds me is the wrath of God on my sin was fully warranted. Like I deserved it. God's a holy God. I'm a sinful person. I've made choices to sin. I deserve God's wrath and judgment because of my sin if God didn't judge sin then he wouldn't be just and if he wasn't just then he wouldn't be holy and righteous and so what this verse reminds me of is that because God was just and had to condemn someone God chose rather than to condemn me to condemn Jesus as my substitute that Jesus bore my sin on himself and that's why today in the words of Paul in Ephesians chapter 2 4 but God who is rich in mercy made me alive together in Jesus Christ for by grace I have been saved But it's a choice to remember that. It's a choice to give God thanks for his grace. The choice you have to make, it's a choice I have to make every single day. To thank God for his grace. And what's the definition of grace? Many of us know this. It's receiving what I don't deserve. You know what that reminds me of is anything that I can point to in my life that's of any good, it's not because of me, it's because of God's grace. Right? Every good and every perfect gift is from above, from the Father of lights. So any good that I am experiencing right now, my spouse, my kids, my job, this church, my salvation, It's only because of God's grace. And don't get caught up in the lie that what you have and what you've been given is because of you. It's not. And I think what happens to draw us away from the well of salvation to go to the well of skepticism is we get caught up thinking that what we have is because of me. And I love the words in verse 1 that says, here's what we're going to say in that day, and here's what we have every reason to say today. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, for though you were angry with me, your anger turned away that you might comfort me. And I feel like what transitions us from being frustrated with maybe our perspective seeing a reluctant God who isn't cooperating with our agenda What transitions us from seeing God that way to seeing God as a God who comforts and is lavishing upon us grace upon grace is going back to the gospel that made us Christians in the first place. That's a choice. It's a choice to say, man, today, even though I don't feel like it, even though I've had a hard week, 
even though my health isn't what it should be or the circumstance isn't what it should be, man, I'm choosing today to drop my bucket and to draw and to drink from the well of my salvation. Man, I'm going to choose today to thank God for His grace. And that happens when I just say, God, I thank you that I'm a child of yours. And whatever I'm going through, I know that you're there with me. And that's only because of the gospel of what I've received from Jesus Christ. And it's also recalling blessings that we've received from God because of his grace. Recalling those things. God, let me choose instead of focusing on what you haven't done. That's the well of skepticism. God, let me thank you for what you have done and what you have accomplished by your grace. Here's the second thing that we choose to do when we drink from the well of salvation and we drop that bucket down and say, man, everything in me wants to drink from that well of skepticism, but I know there's no joy in that. So God, I'm going to drop my bucket down and I'm going to drink from the well of salvation and I'm going to draw up and I'm going to remind myself of the second choice that I need to make and I need to trust God for His greatness. Not just thank God for His grace, but trust God for His greatness. Look at what it says in verse 2. It says, Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and I will not be afraid, for the Lord God is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Trust God for his greatness, because trust in God produces joy. Produces joy. So when you go to that third world country and you see these people that know Jesus who have absolutely nothing and they're joyful, why? Because they trust God in a way that maybe you don't. That's why when you walk into a hospital room and you see someone that has been given a 5% chance to live, but yet they seem to be exuding joy, you know why? Because they've made a conscious choice that they're not going to choose to focus on what God hasn't done, but they're going to make a choice to thank God for His grace and to trust God for His greatness, that God is greater than their circumstance. See, trust in God produces joy. Trust in ourselves produces joy. Anxiety, and wasn't that Israel's problem? That's why they're in captivity? is because they made a choice to transfer their trust from God and His grace and His goodness and who they were as a people called out by Him and choose to place it into things that could never deliver on what it promised. And look at the declarations that are mentioned that give across this idea of trusting God for his greatness. It says there, behold, God is my salvation. I mean, that's such a simple short statement, but such a profound truth, right? That you're going to say in that day that there's going to come a day, Israel, where you're going to say, behold, God is my salvation. And those of us on this side of the cross, today is that day if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, that we're going to make the conscious choice today to trust God for his greatness and say, behold, God is my salvation even in the midst of blank. And that phrase just doesn't stop there. It says, behold, God is my salvation. And because of that reality, because of that profound truth, that God is my salvation through anything and everything. There's a comfort in that. 
that if God chooses not to heal me physically, I know he's going to heal me spiritually. And I know that if I pass from this life to the next, that I will be with him forever in one day. So there's that safety in his salvation through anything and everything. God forbid that that's the course for someone that we love and them being removed from us, but knowing that we'll see them again. God's my salvation through anything and everything. Therefore, I will trust. That's the phrase. And don't we complicate our trust in God? We complicate it a lot of times, don't we? We mix in other things with our trust in God. What do I mean by that is we trust in our trust in God. Right? So we trust in how well we're trusting in God. Which means that my perspective of who God is affects my trust, and that is shaky ground. Rather than allowing who God says he is through his word to determine whether or not I can trust in him. But we oftentimes trust in our trust in God. Don't we also do this? We trust in our theology of God. Well, God is who I say he is. And if I can't yet understand what God's Word says in that, then I'm just going to form my own framework of who I think God is. That's not good. It says, I'm going to, I will trust in you. Not my trust. Not who I think you are. Don't we also trust in our worship of God? So if my worship of God is shaky this morning because I've been drawing from the well of skepticism, then how's your worship going? Probably not too well. Rather than saying, no, 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 God, I'm going to allow you to define who you are. And I'm going to trust in that. And I'm going to worship you for that. And I'm going to worship who you say you are. Because the more props that we hold ourselves up with, the more unstable we are become. And trusting God for who he is cannot happen without making his greatness personal to you. Do you notice the personal idea there? You see it there in verse 2? For the Lord God is, you ought to circle this in your Bible, my strength, my song. He has become my salvation. Do you see how, how there's a personal aspect to it? That when I choose to trust God for his greatness, I need to make that personal. God, you're great to me. You're great for me. You're my salvation. Let me think going back to what we said in the first point. I'm going to trust God for his grace to me. You're my strength. God, I'm going to trust in your greatness to me and for me. And I love that third thing that's mentioned there. Do you see it there? It's actually the second thing, my strength. And he says, he's become my salvation. But do you see that my song? I think there's significance to that that I just want to spend a couple minutes on. Here's what my song literally means. The memories that you have of God's greatness realized. That's what that's getting at. My song is thinking about How has God's greatness to me been manifested? Because I'm going to have a different song than you have. 
We might have some similarities, but the way that I've seen God's greatness revealed to me may be a little different than you've seen God's greatness revealed to you. Yes, there's harmony in our salvation. We all come to Jesus Christ the same way, but how God saved you may be different than how God saved me. So my song is that idea of memories of God's greatness realized. And aren't songs tied to memories? Aren't they? Certain song plays on the radio and it takes you back to a certain memory. You find that? I remember different, different times and the different things that I was going through. I was talking with Lori. I was like, do we even have like a song? Some of you might have a song, right? It's the song you dance to. But remember, back when Lori and I got married, there was no dancing at our wedding. So we didn't get to take part in that joyous thing. But you might have a song that is your, you and your spouse's song, and every time you think of it, you think back to when you were young, and those memories flood back inside of you. Or, or maybe there's another song, and maybe it ties to when, man, you were, you were so down, and you were reaching out to God, and you played that song over and over again because it reminded you of who God was, and every time you hear that song, it brings you back to that. I have that certain playlists that I listened to when I was running or whatever it was to think and I was working through something and now every time I hear that song, it brings me back to that place. That's the idea. It's God, you're my strength and you're my salvation, but you're my song, man. I replay and hit repeat during those times where I want to be tempted to draw from the well of skepticism and to choose what you haven't done, to choose to fear what could happen, to choose to fail to share with anybody else about who you are. And in those moments, man, I need to start hitting play on that playlist and think back to the times that I've experienced God's greatness in my life and bring myself back to those things so I can choose today to trust in him. Why? Because it's a choice to rejoice. And where I choose to search for joy will determine whether or not I experience it. Here's the third thing, and we're done. It's found in verses 4 through 6. Choose to tell others of his goodness. Like every day I have a choice. Am I going to draw from the well of skepticism, the well of salvation? If I drop down that bucket this morning and maybe this is the choice that I need to make today to experience that joy is, man, I need to choose to tell others of God's goodness. Look at what it says in verses 4 through 6. It says, And you will say in that day, give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known, look at this, his deeds among who? Among the peoples, proclaim that his name is exalted, sing praises to the Lord. Why? For he has done gloriously. Let this be made known in all the earth. Shout and sing for joy, O inhabitants of Zion, for great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. Isaiah is speaking this prophecy and looking to a time where God's goodness will be proclaimed throughout the whole world. You know one of the greatest ways that I can experience joy is to get the focus off of myself and back onto God's mission for my life. Man, when I choose to drink from this well, it is all about me. And I found what 
is one of the greatest choices that I can make to get me out of drinking from this well that's bitter and stagnant and never satisfies and is habit-forming is for me to draw from the well of salvation and say, you know what, I need to get the focus off myself and back on to God's mission. Man, where has God called me to be? Where's the influence that I have? If I'm going to school, guess what? I am a missionary in that school if you're a junior high or a high school or a college student. Let me get myself back onto the mission of where God has placed me sovereignly at my workplace. Man, let me get the focus off of me and focus on once again, what are the opportunities that God has placed in front of me to choose to tell of God's goodness to other people and what I've experienced through Jesus Christ? Because I'm an ambassador of that goodness. That's 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 20. But if I don't believe, and I'm not, or should I say, I'm not choosing to remember what it says there in verse 5, that God has done glorious in me. I'm not going to be motivated to tell others. And maybe we need to bring ourselves back and make that choice. Let me tell others of his goodness. Let me stop thinking about me and focus on again what God has called me to do. Because here's the reality. The greatest thing that you can tell someone who doesn't know Jesus Christ is what God has done in your life. How God has shown himself glorious in your life. I think we get so messed up into thinking, well, what if they ask me a question that I don't know or... Or what if I can't defend this or that? And the greatest story that you can share is how Jesus has changed your life. Because here's the beauty, beautiful thing about it. If you're exuding joy, nobody can argue with that message. Because it's a supernatural delight and a settled assurance in God's faithfulness that exudes from you in spite of the circumstances. You know, Romans 1.16, Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Not ashamed of it. Why? Because it's the power of God for salvation to, in, to everyone who believes. And so as we close this morning, here's just simply what I want to ask. What well are we drinking from? What well is it? The well of skepticism or the well of salvation? Which well is it? This morning, are we choosing to focus on what God hasn't done, choosing to allow fear to rid our lives of what could happen? And because of that, we're choosing to really fail at telling others about who Jesus is? Or, man, are we today going to say, man, it's a choice to rejoice, and I'm going to draw from the well of my salvation. It's a well that's never stagnant. Jesus is that living water. And I'm going to choose to thank God for His grace, to trust Him for His goodness, and to tell others of that goodness that I have received.